the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The Total Financial Hour is sponsored by TFS Financial Insurance Services and Total Financial Solutions, Inc. The information on this show is not intended to be the primary basis for investment decisions and should not be used to provide financial advice. Please obtain the guidance of a financial professional regarding your particular financial concerns. Past performance is not a guarantee of future results. This program reflects the views of Arif Halaby, California Insurance License 0B93792 of TFS Financial Insurance Services. TFS Financial Insurance Services, California Insurance License Number 0F22477, provides retirement income strategy. Strategies using insurance and annuity products, which are guaranteed by the claims paying ability of the issuing company. Financial security will help you live the life you dream. Learn about financial power, the total financial hour. Now, higher income strategy. Learn from Arab Halaby. Learn about financial power. I'm Eric Halby. Listen to the Total Financial Hour. Let me give you the phone number again. 888-99-RETIRE. That's 888-997-3847. 888-99-RETIRE. 888-997-3847. I told you I'd have a commitment to you to, to speak a little slower. So thank you. I will do that. Listen, a lot of this, uh, I'm going to get to your emails here in just a second, but a lot of what's been going on, in this uh, cancel culture and things that uh, prevent you from standing up, standing up for what you believe in, standing up for the right things, and kind of going along to get along. And a big part of it is the common decency, right? Your parents said, be kind, which is good advice. Uh, People said, uh, don't make waves. Some would say that's good advice, depending on where you are, I guess. Uh, Go along to get along. You've heard that before. Uh, But you've also heard things like squeaky wheel gets their grease, right? The one that makes the most noise has attention paid to them. And why I bring that up is because, uh, listen, the Trump era is not when this cancel culture began. It began way before that. Do you remember those two ladies in Portland that had a burrito company? Two two white ladies that had a burrito uh, store, right? A pop-up, a company. And they made these incredible tortillas. Well, everybody was so upset that two white ladies would go to Mexico to get the best tortilla uh, uh, recipe and then bring it to the United States and then make, have the audacity to make food in which they didn't have a drop of that cultural blood. Remember that? Yeah, that was just after President Trump was inaugurated. Just a couple of months, a few months. It had nothing to do with the Trump era and, and, and this craziness. Cultural cancellation, right? Right, This cancellation, cancel power uh, of somebody's ideas. It's been going on for a long time. 
And it's a slow way for society to manipulate you and your behavior. They don't have to put millions of people in jail like the Chinese do. They don't have to put millions of people uh, pulled from the economic system like the Biden administration is trying to do. All you have to do is just continue to publicly shame you, to take away your career, to say, sorry, nobody wants to work with you anymore. Uh, listen, we'd love to keep you as a vice president of our organization, but uh, the customers, the, the people that pay our bills, they're just not interested in working with you. And so hence, we're going to have to let you go. You, you understand that? You don't have to come at folks with guns and, and billy clubs. You just take away their livelihood. Okay, so why do I bring that up? Because China is notorious for doing this. You understand that? Reports are, this public reports, somewhere between 11 and 22, big range, I know, police stations in the United States from China. Chinese police stations right here in the United States where their intelligence officials come in as students, pretend to be businessmen and women, pretend to be tourists, and their intelligence officials are right here in the United States working, going after dissidents, which means people that are Chinese descent who are writing organization or writing or working for organizations that oppose the Chinese Communist Party. But you know what they're also doing? Is they're working to better the cancel uh, culture. You understand that? The Chinese government, the Communist Party, is working in direct relationship, at least to the same aim, with the Democrat Party. There may not be weekly meetings, monthly conversations. There may be none of that. But their objectives are exactly the same. To silence you by threatening to take away your livelihood, your career, your customers. It's an anti-free speech. You see, in the Chinese Communist Party, th their goal is to not give you a chance to succeed in business because then others would see you as an example. So here's why I bring that up. And I'll get to your, uh, your email in just a second. Here's why I bring it up. Because there is 25%, that means one out of four, nearly one out of four young men in China are unemployed. Okay, that's a problem. When a culture has spent so long getting rid of their female babies, because the name wouldn't be carried on, remember that? When the culture spent so long, so many years, so many decades, pushing to only have males, because they were allowed only one child, well, now those young men are in their 20s finished with college, did what they were supposed to do, were educated, some here in the United States, certainly in Western countries, Australia, New Zealand, Canada, England, Germany. China sent their people everywhere around the world to learn the language, learn the culture. Now they're back. And they're saying, we want a job. Well, one out of four of them cannot find a job. So what happens when you have military-age men with the testosterone with the desire to get married and, and continue their life and they're unemployed and they're bored. See, that's a big problem China has on their hand. So the only thing they can do is to, is to silence you on this side of the Pacific. Because if you start reporting this 
and information starts getting back to those same men and women that were educated in a Western, in a Western way, you don't think that's going to be a problem? I think that's a big problem. I think the Chinese government knows that. I think that the uh, millions, I think it's 20 million, something in that, 20 millions of homes that are vacant, built, mostly by quality, we expect, quality homes, and they're vacant. Nobody's living in them. There just isn't people. You can't afford to. You must stay with your parents. Why? Because you just don't have a job. You can't get married. China is... Uh, well-known for going to North Korea to get Chinese brides, to get North Korean brides. It's a, there's a service, literally a service, that brings North Korean women from depths of poverty and they marry Chinese men. And there's an, an entire organization of North Korean women marry Chinese men, have one or two babies, and then they disappear back to North Korea. And they take your money and there's very little that can be done about it. A lot of this is happening. Why don't you hear about it? Oh, it's that silence. So try to object to the Chinese way. And I think you'll see some problems. Now, how does that impact you? Because I always go back to your ability to stand up. Right? How do you fight culture? Uh, cancel culture? How do you do it? You do it because you say, you know what? I have my own wealth. I have my own money. I'm diversified. I have my own savings. I'm not in debt. And I don't have this crazy obligation to an employer who doesn't have a moral compass. Instead, what do I have? I have values. So I want you to, to understand that sometimes you get a chance to stand up for what's right and it's going to cost you time and money. Listen, if you can't do it because... You, you don't have the time and money, then at least you stand behind others. You go to the, 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 month, the weekly uh, uh, city council meetings. You go to the school board meetings. Conservative cities and states across the country are getting liberal left-wing mayors elected all the time because they have funding and dollars from a private source. Oh, I wonder who that might be. It's how you saw the turning of Boise, Idaho, Austin, Texas, Salt Lake City. These are conservative cities, or were. And you see these left-wing mayors getting elected and starting to operate off of a, of a mindset of the far left. Okay, that's a little scary, because that's what they're going to use as their basis to turn those states. All right, here's what I want you to do. <sighs> Pay attention for a minute, because I think this is a lot of you. All right, grab your pen and paper because I want you to take notes. We're going to come up with some numbers. It's a little little number intensive, but I think you'll get it here as I come up with my solution. Dear Arif, we want to retire in the next couple of years. Our income goal is about $5,000 a month. We are expecting Social Security of $1,200 a month for my wife and about $2,000 a month for me. That would be hers at age 64, mine at 67. All right. So that means they're in their early 60s. They haven't reached those age yet, okay? But at age 64, she'll have 1,200. At age 67, he'll have 2,000. All right. We both have worked at various companies over the years, but spent most of our working life being self-employed. We have about $150,000 saved for retirement, 
and we expect that to fill the difference in our income needs. We both currently like our jobs, but really want would like to do other things. Specifically, volunteer and stand up for our social values. Well, we should have our house paid off in the next five years or so, and that should help with our monthly expenses. That's about $1,800 a month. We also may decide to sell our house and move out of the state when we retire. We have one daughter, so we'll follow her and the grandchildren if they move and wherever they may go. All right, guys, so that's the email. You understand that. Okay, Dan and Diana, you guys did a great job. You saved. I like it. Do I always want it to be more? Yes, because I always want you to have choices. And here's the bad news. I'm going to recommend you work a little longer, at least three more years from what your original plan is. Meaning, instead of retiring and starting Social Security at 67, I think you need to wait until you are 70, 70. What will that give you? Well, that's going to give you somewhere in the neighborhood of an additional $500 a month, maybe a little more. That's helpful. And about $400 more a month for your wife as well. All right. We need that because 150000 is never going to fill the gap that you need. And I need you to have your, your house paid off. Okay, so here's what we do. Let me explain to you guys a little bit on self-employment because a lot of people think that being your own boss is the answer to all of your financial woes. And most of the time I agree with you. I think a lot of people that complain about financial situations and why their boss is this and their employment is that and their working conditions is this and we need to strike. The unions need to strike, right? The uh, auto unions. Oh, we need to strike. You don't under Go start your own company. Go back to school and, and become something else. You don't have to sit there with a cup in hand begging. If, if you're not accepted or liked or appreciated for the value that you think you have to offer, can't you? I, I mean, listen, correct me if I'm wrong. Can't you just go somewhere else? Eric, it's not that easy. I have a wife and six kids. Night school. I, I did that. I went, I went to school at night to learn financial stuff after I got scammed. I had to work part-time jobs, two and three, when I still had a full-time job. I'm not saying it's impossible to, to accomplish. I'm saying it's very possible. But what's the drawback? You need to make sure that you count your income for Social Security if you're going to count on Social Security in the future. Because when you declare your income as self-employed and you don't report it and you say... Oh, I made 100000 a year, but really, wink, wink, I made twenty. That's fine. If you, if you and your CPA come up with that number, and that's the proper number, but realize you're not going to receive Social Security benefits on $100,000. you will receive it as if you earned 20000 And because Social Security accepts 35 years of your highest earning uh, years, if in that 35-year window... You have a lot of zeros, meaning you never reported income to Social Security. Maybe you were back at school. Maybe you were a stay-at-home spouse. Whatever you did, but you had a lot of zeros in that 35-year runtime. Well, you're not going to receive Social Security payments very high. And that appears to be the case for this couple. So what am I going to recommend? Well, first of all, I think you're going to have to be very clear on working until age seven zero. Then I could take that 150000 
we could put some or most of it, maybe all of it, depending on the rest of your your assets. We'd want to make sure you have enough money to start an income stream at age 70 to replace what you want to live on. So two things are going to happen. One, that $1,800 a month, I don't know if that's principal, interest, taxes, and insurance, right? often known as P-I-T-I, but let's just say it's principal and interest. Remember, you're always going to have taxes and insurance. That never goes away. doesn't matter how old you are. doesn't matter if you've paid off your house. You will always have to pay to exist or to live. And if you rent, you're going to pay taxes and insurance, but through your rent, meaning the landlord has to collect it because he or she has to pay for it. So you will always end up paying taxes and insurance. That doesn't go away. Certainly it's less than if you had a, a, a mortgage as well. So even if your home is paid off, don't forget you have to pay taxes and insurance. That could be hundreds and hundreds of dollars a month. But in this particular case, guys, I want you to pay off that house because you're so close to doing it. And then you don't have to make that money, right? It doesn't have to come in the front door to go out the back door. You could actually retire on less money and live the exact same way. And that applies to all debt, by the way, whether it's student loan debt or car debt, credit card debt, whatever you are paying now, if it's paid off when you retire, great news. You don't have to pay it again. It's gone forever. So I want you to work until age 70. That currently is the maximum. You're not going to receive any more money after age 70 in Social Security. You'll receive about an 8% pay raise per year. So every year that you wait, it's about $160 more a month. You have three years times 160. There's a little bit of compounding. It's right around the neighborhood of about $500 or so added to 2000. Here's the other part. Because you're a little older than your wife, and we know that men currently, there's some dispute that, that it's still the number, but men still die a little bit earlier than their wives. Right now, if that's the case, you have to realize she's going to only receive the higher of the two social security checks. So she will lose $1,200 a month. And if we can get that up to $1,500, $1,600 a month, and you guys have a great life, when you pass away, statistically speaking, either one of you anyway, you're going to lose the $1,500, $1,600 a month. That's an immediate pay cut. Well, if your expenses went up, does the, uh, does the surviving person actually eat enough, <laughs> eat enough money, use enough electricity and water to say, well, they cost $1,500 a month? People say, oh, there'll be less expenses when that person is alive. Listen, as we get older, we eat less anyway, right? So, so we're not eating three meals a day of, of filet mignon. So there's less of a cost as we get a little older in food. And if a light is on in a room and electricity is being drawn, it doesn't matter if there's three people in the room or nobody in the room, the cost for that electricity, for that, for that light bulb is exactly the same. It lights up a room regardless of how many people. Now, where you will see a reduction if one of you passes away is the car maintenance, car insurance. Usually you don't need two cars, you'll, you'll, receive, you'll have just one. So there definitely is a savings, but it's nowhere near what it's gonna be in the loss of the income if, statistically speaking, one of you passes well before the other and we have a decade plus 
of living alone. The numbers used to be, this might be interesting to some of you, the numbers used to be this. It was the age difference, so in your case it's about three years, plus 12. That means that Diana is expected to live 12 plus 3, 15 years as a widow or as a widow past you. you. That's a lot. So she has to have 15 years worth of living expenses, 15 years worth of life, 15 years worth of worth of money, purpose above and beyond what yours. Okay, so that's important to know. We got to plan for that. All right, so now you know the difference between job and self-employment. All right. I don't think there's enough money. 150,000. I need that to get up to 250,000. If we can get it up to 250,000, I can and that means you're going to have to add money about 20,000 a year between the two of you. You can do that. I'd like you to get your house paid off, that reduces the monthly expenses. If you guys decide to leave California, you're going to save anywhere between 25 and 60%. Just so you know, be, to be clear, you'll probably save seven or $800 a month right off the bat. That's in gasoline, that's in uh, property taxes, that's in uh, energy expenses, food, right? Just the cost of living is 25% plus by leaving the state. All right, I need the house paid off. I want $250,000 in your retirement account. I want you to reach age 70. Then she will start her income at her full retirement age. So you guys like your jobs. I, I like that. It's nice to have people enjoy their work. I think it's great that you make a difference enough to, to work and create income. I know it's going to be tight, but kind of keep your ear to the ground. Dan, if you're in a position to where you're starting to hear the rumblings of your daughter, her husband, your son-in-law, starting to talk about moving out of the state, starting to talk about making career changes or just they can't survive in the state, economically speaking, financially speaking, oh, I, I would say you guys need to pause just a minute. And instead of following them everywhere they go, which I'm okay with that, but just realize if you keep buying a property and selling it, buying a property and selling it, the one thing people forget when you buy and sell a property is immediately you buy it, and if you sell it the next week, you're losing right in the neighborhood of about $10,000 between, sorry, 10%, right? If it's a $500,000 property, you're going to lose $50,000 right off the bat between commissions, uh, expenses to sell, title, escrow, fees, etc. So don't just think, oh, I bought it for five hundred dollars and it went up to five twenty-five. dollars I've made $25,000. No, you didn't. Because you only make it if you sell it. And number two is you're going to be in the hole 10% right off the bat. So don't think you can buy and sell, buy and sell, guys. You have to... You start the race behind the the starting line, right? You're not back at that line at, at 500000 It takes a while to get back up there. So for a lot of you that will buy in different places and then sell and then buy and sell, I'd want you to consider, especially if you're moving, whether it's military or, or contract work where two years here, two years there, 
Think about buying and keeping it as rental property. Think about buying it and keeping it as an asset for the family. I don't know if that works for you. I don't know if you have the intellect or the, or the desire or the aptitude. I, I don't know. But I do want you to think, instead of saying to yourself, which, by the way, this is a lie, I have to sell that house in order to get the down payment for the new house. No, you don't. Right? If the goal is to accumulate wealth, then you have to act like a wealthy person. A wealthy person has guaranteed income. A wealthy person has income streams that can't be outlived. A wealthy person does not care if the stock market is up or down or real estate is up or down. A wealthy mindsetted person has many sources of income. My contention to you is to have real estate be one of them. Work with us if you like us, if you want to work with me on the safety and the protection of the principal so we can get reasonable gains, rates of return, and guaranteed income. That, that's really the key. So it doesn't matter where you are. It doesn't matter what you stand for. It doesn't matter what you protest. It doesn't matter what you don't protest. It doesn't matter what flag you do or don't have in front of your yard. On the first of the month, bing, check pops in. Right, right now, China can't affect that. We don't expect them to do that. They're going to try. Right, They've infiltrated all of the Caribbean. They've infiltrated all of, of Latin Central America. They've infiltrated many European countries. And they've done so by taking over the ports, the businesses. And when you have somebody that's compromised like Joe Biden with the Chinese, there's not a lot you can do as a country. You're saying, well, we're stuck. Our leadership is always going to favor China. It's always going to favor the despots in Iran. So there's not a lot we can do when their best friend is in the White House. We're hopeful. One, I think he's going to step down before the end of the year. It depends on how quickly the impeachment proceedings begin. But there's no question he will step down. And gratefully, with Mitt Romney not running, right? I, I don't know. I think the more self-righteous you think you are, the more not common human being, everyday kind of a guy, common sense thinking person you are, and we have a few of them. I think Mike Pence is one of them. Although I, I think Mike Pence is a wonderfully uh, great Christian man, I, I think he still thinks he's smarter than everybody else and needs to be your leader from a moral standpoint. Maybe maybe he does. I, I don't, I'm not buying it. I used to. I used to. But the situational ethics that I saw recently kind of lead me to think that's probably not the best choice when it comes to president. Right? I, I don't know. I'm, I'm still I'm letting President Trump convince me that he's not the right person. Right now, I think he is. Just, just, just bottom line. But whether or not he can convince me that he's not the right person, okay, let's see. I think a powerful ticket to bring in the United States, just like President Trump brought in Mike Pence, I, I think President Trump can bring in Ron DeSantis, set Ron DeSantis up for, for four years plus another four. So now you have eight years of Ron DeSantis, four years of President Trump turning around this nation, getting us back on track, finishing the wall. Maybe that means our retirement can be a little bit clearer. Look, if I think you should tax all the money that goes overseas. If you're going to go to a Western Union or you're going to go to some of these uh, uh, Latin American or Filipino or Chinese, whatever, money that goes overseas, right? like a Western Union type money sending money gram, 
then you have to pay a 5% tax. The money's gone from the United States. You earned it here. You're not going to spend it here. So there's no sales tax, no income tax, no property tax. The money is gone. Let's tax that 5%. That's how we build our wall. <laughs> it's pretty interesting, huh? I think that's a solution. All right, my song is up. That means stay tuned after the break, guys. I have another email on this one. It's a little sad, but, but I think pretty clear. And one you and I have to pay attention to. All right, we're going to, I think we're going to have a, a, a pretty touching email when we come back. All right, Arif Halaby, stay with me on the Total Financial Hour. AM 870, the answer, 888-997-3847, 888-99-RETIRE. We'll be right back. Thanks to Arif Halaby, now every dollar's got a job to do. Arif makes your money work for you. Learn about financial power, the Total Financial Learn about financial power, the total financial hour. Financial security will help you live the life you dream. Learn about financial power, the total financial hour. Now higher income strategy, learn from Arab Halaby. Hey, welcome back to the show. Eric Hallaby, the Total Financial Hour. AM 870, the answer. Talking about your family's finances. Of course, getting out of debt, managing money, planning for the future. That's what it's all about. And I want to get into a couple of things today uh, that I mentioned uh, just before going to the break. Uh, look, sometimes people uh, will send, sometimes you guys will send emails that are extremely touching, sad, right? All of us uh, have different things in life. And it reminds me something. When you go to the grocery store, you're driving down the street, you know, remember that other people could be having a bad day. Maybe they just found out their dog passed away or a family member is sick. I mean, all sorts of things happen in life. And yet people can still put their shoes on. They can still get dressed. They can still go outside and still be amongst everybody else. And yet most people have something that they don't like about themselves. They have something they're scared about. They have something they're happy about. So all I'm asking is a little bit of grace for folks out there, both when you're driving and, and out and about, because here's an email from somebody that I think will uh, maybe remind you of that. All right. And before I get to it, I, I want to kind of remind you guys every week, uh, Sunday, from 11 to 1, our show runs uh, Pacific Time. Some of you out in other states, I know that we have listeners in Europe now and even a few in Canada, so it's nice to hear y'all. Pacific Time, so I'll have to say that from now on, 11 to 1 Pacific Time. That's Pacific U.S. Time. be great to have you as part of the show. Okay, here's an email that I think when Janet sent it, she thought of a couple of things, and one of those was how to protect money, but more importantly, I think you'll figure it out. Dear Eric, I'm 68 years old and recently retired. I retired to care for my husband during the last year of his life. Now I am a widow and a little financially lost. We chose to never have children, a decision we both later grew to regret during the last 20 years of our marriage. However, we both had very rewarding careers as physicians and thoroughly enjoyed our work and our work life. It provided for many years of travel and giving. 
We loved helping many that could not afford high-quality health care through our annual medical missions trips. My questions are about my beneficiaries now and any suggestions on how I should choose them. I have some distant relatives, but many of my family was killed in World War II. Some were also killed in the Holocaust. My income is more than I could spend each year, so that is not necessarily a concern for me. I am sure if I... Uh, oh, I'm unsure if I should have a living trust, and if so, is that where my beneficiaries are indicated? My home is currently paid for, and so is a small apartment building that we owned in Los Angeles. Altogether, I would expect to have about $8 million to be left behind. Janet. So, you see what I mean? Heartbroken a little bit on the outside. Oh, financially successful on the outside. Oh, great career on the outside. Oh, wonderful uh, uh, marriage at one point, right? But there was this deep longing the last 20 years of their life, probably from age you know, 45, 47 until age 68, she said, the last 20 years of their marriage, where they didn't have children, and they felt that was a big mistake. Grieving family members that have passed away in the Holocaust, distant relatives maybe, maybe closer, that died in various uh, things in World War II, right? Bombings happened. They, did, they weren't very accurate necessarily, and they would destroy whole towns, and people would be killed just for who they are who they thought that they were. So, so you see what I'm saying? This is a pretty sad. So in the end of her life, she's going to have a whole bunch of money, $8 million. Many of you are going, hey, send it my way. I get it. But what about the causes that she believes in? So I want to share with you my suggestions of my nearly 27, 28 years in the financial industry as a professional, another decade prior to that as a, as a personal, just for my own personal wealth and, and accumulation. So what what did I find and what do I find when I deal with people every day? Well, it's a couple of things. I think you might want to consider a family scholarship fund. Now, let me get into the detail of this because this might be helpful to a lot of you. A family scholarship fund is basically a trust fund where anybody that's going to be going to college from your family, and you can define its niece, nephew, grandniece, great-grandniece, nephews, uh, cousins. You can define that relationship. And they can apply for up to a certain dollar figure, $5,000 a year. It can be renewable, provided they receive grades of a certain minimum, character of a certain minimum. It can be a scholarship that can land and live in perpetuity. So here's the difference between a gift and an endowment. So giving a gift to either a charity or a nonprofit or to a person, it's just, here's your money. Have a good day. I hope you do something good with it. I don't want you to give a gift for somebody if it's meant for their college. I don't want you to give it to the institution themselves. Because when you give it to the college or the university, they use it to replace money they would have normally given the student. They don't use it to cover or replace the student's contribution. Let me repeat that because I got shafted on that when we gave a scholarship fund to a young man. I think it might have been my first or second time doing it. And I realized it reduced the amount the school was on the hook for for that student, not reduced the student's contribution. So don't give 
the uh, school the money directly. Okay, maybe you won't receive certain benefits, but nonetheless, there are other ways to still make it happen. But I don't want you to give it to the school directly. They reduce their contribution, not the student's contribution. Maybe in most cases, maybe in all cases, I don't know. Next. An endowment is where the interest, basically, is what's given away each year. So, for example, if you have $1 million and you give it to an endowment and it's earning 5% interest, that means every year that $1 million will spin off about 5000 Is that right? 10%? No, uh, $50,000. The $1 million spins off 50000 and that is the only thing that can be spent that year. Sometimes people will will do the endowment plus one percent. Uh, sorry, the the interest plus one percent. Sometimes they'll do the interest minus one percent, so that the principal can grow. Right, a million becomes a million and fifty thousand, a million and twenty thousand. Right, it starts to grow above that. So an endowment is where big chunks of money are given, and only the interest is paid out and spent for various purposes. That's an endowment. You can do that. We, we've had people do that at the various hospitals in, in Providence. I've seen them. people will donate and say, I want the endowment to go to sponsor up-and-coming nurses, continuing education, certain equipment to be purchased for the cancer, or the heart department. I've seen that happen. And that allows that, those funds to not just be spent and then be thrown away or, you know, it's gone forever. Wherever it goes, it's, it's done. So an endowment might be the way to go. Better to do an endowment with larger sums of money than with smaller sums because if you put in $10,000 and you say, I'm going to do an endowment, $500 is very much appreciated by most of the organizations that receive it, but they, would, they can do more with $10,000 rather than a small endowment of $500. So keep that in mind, all right? That's the difference between endowment and gift. Janet, one of the things that you, you mentioned and the reason I chose to read it is your medical missions trips. There are many non-religious, unreligious, or religious organizations across the globe. Doctors Without Borders comes to mind. It's one of the more well-known versions of medical missions trips. But there are plenty out there where they take your funds and they pay for equipment. They pay for the, the, the expenses for the physician. They don't pay the, ex- the physician or the nurses or the, uh, the, the staff, but they pay for their expenses to go, their airline, their hotel. One of the challenges with doing that, and it's a double-edged sword, you guys have to understand this, a lot of these medical missions trips, when they bring in equipment, x-ray machines, uh, dental missions, where you're bringing in... Uh, toothbrushes and and, uh, dental equipment and on and on. The amount of bribery you have to pay and and graft you have to pay at the border in the airline terminals, right through customs and immigration, it's pretty high. I don't want you to think it's nothing. That means you have to pay a person or usually a group of people, the supervisor, to get your equipment out of customs and into that third world country, even though you are doing the work at no cost for the benefit of their own people, Africa, Central America, South America, uh, Asia, it doesn't matter. Even though whatever political faction or 
junta or military wing of whatever that runs the ports, the harbor, the airports. They, 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 I've been involved where you're, you're saying, are you kidding me? This is money that's supposed to go. So you literally have to take a lot of these international organizations, have to take bribe money with them. It's sad. It's negotiations. It takes experience. It uh, doesn't matter if you're, you know, John MacArthur or, or Robert Schuler, or doesn't matter who you are. They still require to get certain equipment, Bibles, uh, books, education. Okay, so just kind of know that's the dirty side of it. And some of your money will, if you're going to sponsor that level of organizations, right, the international ones, you'll probably have to know some of your money is going to go to make that happen. You might just call it the cost of doing business, right? The United States, we have taxes, right? We can call it anything we want. It's still money that leaves our pocket, goes indirectly to pay for these customs officials and, and uh, federal employees in the United States, pays for their pension and their, their uh, retirement accounts and their health insurance. They have amazing health insurance. Their one-month vacation a year, their, their work, right? You get it. So maybe in your mind we can rationalize it that it's just the cost of doing business. But I do want you to know about it. If you can emotionally absorb it, then great. That's part of the cost of doing business. The other part of it is if you've retained your license, I know you've retired, but if you've retained your ability to still practice, Janet, what if you spend the rest of your remaining working years, life, active physical years, teaching others. What if you led groups, international mission groups? What if you were the physician to take nurses and doctors, surgeons to these international trips? Some, many people that have never gone on it and you organized it and you created it and, and privately, I wouldn't tell them, but privately funded it. What a difference, what an honor in your husband's name. What a way to help children in other parts of the world eventually become leaders of their countries or come to this country, if that was the case, and be a leader in this nation. Creating a lifelong gift or, one, or a one-time gift to various charities is another option. You can put strings attached. Charities, I will tell you, are not fans of restricted money. Now, they will take it. But when you say these funds have to be used for this reason, for this purpose, on this date, it removes a lot of flexibility from the charity. So from the charity standpoint, they want to use it for general, wherever they see the need, wherever they see the, the opportunity to do something and, and make a difference. But if you put restrictions on it, it's only for this department of that organization. They'll still take it, but just know that it's they're going to try to convince you to make it a general purpose donation. And maybe that's the right thing to do. Maybe you do a portion for each. That's up to you. But I think having something to do with World War II or the Holocaust or medical missions, right? If that's where your life is about, it needs to be created through what's called the Revocable Living Trust. The Revocable Living Trust is where you would change the name of the ownership of your house and the apartment building in downtown LA. 
whether it's a four unit or 10 unit or 20 unit, I don't know what it is. doesn't matter. It needs to be in the trust. Now I want you to meet with a CPA or a tax attorney to decide if that apartment building should be in its own LLC, limited liability company. I want you to find out if that apartment building should be held inside of your revocable trust or the LLC. Those are really the only two options and maybe the shares of the LLC, the limited liability company, the shares of the company that are owned by you will actually be owned by your trust. Okay. I'm a certified estate planner, so I know this, these things, but I don't want to get too complicated. I want you to know this. You're going to need to have some level of professional attorney, CPA, probably a combination of both because you're not, you don't have just a little bit of money. You have enough where if we make bad decisions, the cost will be tens, if not hundreds of thousands of dollars. And why give it to the government? Why give it to the city or the state or the county and not give it to the charity or the organization you expect? Okay. Um, I'm not a fan of straight out scholarships, as I mentioned, because often the school takes the school off the hook. But what if you were to create something? Uh, I'll give you an example. When my daughter was in grad school, in the middle of all of that, she studied abroad for a short bit. Wouldn't it be nice if you, now we paid for that, of course, but wouldn't it be nice if she, if she didn't have the money or you, you went to students in a field, career field that matters and said, if you're going to study abroad, if you're going to do a medical missions trip or just a out of state or out of country, two month, six month, uh, sabbatical, and you were going to be focusing in on a particular field, we're going to help pay that. We'll pay for your housing. We'll pay for travel. We'll give you a stipend. And these things can make a difference in allowing a young person. Now, listen, if a young person wants to still make it happen, they'll make it happen. But you might be able to give a little bit of a nudge to certain people, give a little push in a way that can make a huge difference in their life. So if you've retained your medical license to teach or to or practical field training in, in your field of study, I think that would be amazing. I think what you can do, if you're going to manage your life, Janet, with charities, with multiple charities, I'd want you to be alive and cognizant. Give them between five and 25,000. That's kind of a, an easy number. Five to 25,000. Give them that. Let's see how they handle it. Let's see if the charity respects your contribution. Don't tell them you have more money potentially. I don't want you to do that. I don't want you to, to see, oh, we're going to respect and like you and appreciate you more because we're expecting more money from you, right? Charities are run by human beings. They have the same uh, emotions and greed like all of us, right? So you got to manage that expectation with them. You say, hey, listen, I'm going to give you $10,000. I'd like to know what you're going to do with it over the next year. It's unrestricted. You tell me what you did with it. And then I want to see it. I want to see that room. I want to see that piece of equipment. I want to see that curriculum that you just taught at that university because we, we sponsored a sabbatical, whatever it might be. Do they spend it wisely? Did they do what they said? Did they treat you with respect? Okay, so these kinds of things allow you to test that charity or that organization. Now, if you've already contributed... Maybe you've sat on the board or you've helped other people or you know people that are intimately involved. Then your level of trust would be a little higher. Well, I already know they do good work. 
But is this organization able to co- uh, coordinate with others? So many times, nonprofits are exactly like companies. They compete. Well, look at what they're doing. Oh, look at these people. We got to get that contract. We got we to gotta push our way into this organization. We got to make sure we get that government deal. There are nonprofits that coordinate, that help, that work together. There's one in northern Los Angeles County that does amazing work feeding people that are struggling. It's called Santa Clarita Grocery. The grocery up in Santa Clarita feeds people with an honest and a hardworking attitude. They do, the nonprofit, right? Why? Because people come in and instead of saying, here's your bag of uh, one pound of beans, rice, and three cans of tomato sauce, they allow you to go in and shop, right? It's a shopping store. They have signs. You can take two of these, one of these, depending on what stock they have. But it returns a bit of dignity, especially if they're shopping with young children, because you're using a shopping cart type method. You're going through. You're saying, oh, our family likes these. Our family doesn't eat this. Oh, we're allergic to that. Put that back. You see, organizations like that, there's one up in Santa Barbara I love as well, where there are food pantries that allow people to shop for their own family needs. Instead of, here's a bag of what we think you need. It's a bit, it's a bit rude. Maybe that's a place if feeding people is important. So do you see where I'm going with this? Janet, a, a big part of this is the process of working through your husband's passing is, is not just staying busy. right? It, that's important because the longer we sit around, the, the, the more sad we can become. I mean, that just is the way it is. As all of us are deal with people that pass in our lives. But it's also more than that. It's making a difference. It's honoring your husband's effort. You guys didn't have children, but what if you could go right now to a, a preschool or a kindergarten or a third grade class and you say, you see you 27 kids in this room? When you are ready to go to university, we will pay for it. You have to get in. You have to work hard. Stay out of trouble. But I will sponsor this third grade class, this fifth grade class, whatever it might be. I will sponsor you so that you 27 young people have a shot at life that might be different. Maybe you go to another school and you say the first 50 people that apply, I will pay for your trade school. You want to be an electrician, a plumber, a mechanic. By the way, all of those folks make six figures a year. I don't know if you know that way more than a four-year English major coming out of school who works at Starbucks, right? You want to be a journeyman plumber? I gotcha. I'll pay for that. Maybe you're that person that goes to a 10th or 11th grade class and says, in two years when you guys are graduating, I will pay for your trade school. Wouldn't that be nice? Wouldn't that be a legacy to help that person now create a family and inside of those two, three, four years or five, whatever it is, you create a community and you sit down and you say, Hey, listen, uh, we're going to have meetings once a month. We're going to have meetings twice a year where we're going to talk about social issues and why conservative values are much more important than the victim mindset, right? The Democrat party exists off of making you a victim. That's how they win. You have to be grieved 
You have to be sad and you have to be angry. Democrat Party started slavery. Right? They supported it. They pushed for it. You understand that? Uh, Jim Crow laws. The Democrat Party is very much about segregation and racist ideas. Today, the Democrat Party are the ones that want blacks to have their own dorms, black men and women to have their own graduation at Harvard and Yale. You understand that? They want affirmative action. They want you to be known by your color of your skin, something you can't control. Don't give me something for something I can't control. Don't take something from me for something I can't control. If I was in Janet's position, I would push for those values. I would say, here's what matters to me. Stop this racist craziness that's currently coming from the the left. And the liberals, the Democrats, the center-left people, they're supporting it because they hate Trump, right? They hate the right wing. They hate the conservatives. When you hate conservatives and you vote for the other side, you might as well just vote for the other side. So Janet, maybe part of this has a social component where Prager University receives some of your funds, right? We are getting more and more of our clients put PragerU in their living trust. It's not me pushing it. It's amazing content from Dennis Prager and Alan Estrin and, and an organization that has proven itself time and time again. So keep that in mind as part of your, I, I guess, your charitable trust your your you know with a, a lower c it's your charitable organizations your beneficiaries maybe just maybe you can make a difference in a life much greater than just one or two or three children that that you could have had and i'm sorry for the loss of your husband i know it's not an easy thing to go through thank you guys for being a part of the show i pray you have an amazing week make sure you give the ones you love a big hug and forgive them quickly so you don't have any regrets. Eric Hallaby, the Total Financial Hour. This is AM870, The Answer. 888-997-3847. That's 888-99-RETIRE. Have a blessed week on AM870, The Answer. Learn about financial power, the Total Financial Hour. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.